For more, let's cross to our U.S. correspondent, Gianni Chichikian. Gianni, what's the extent of the danger for the United States? Well, Alex, as of now, the situation on the U.S. coast looks encouraging. The U.S. islands of Hawaii have, uh, have been uh, first to be hit by some of the first waves of the tsunami, but of course it looks um, it, it lost its power along the way from the epicenter of the earthquake off the coast of Japan. There have been uh, no reports of destruction there in Hawaii, and the fears of a strong destructive impact on the U.S. west coast have of course diminished, and now that we know that the first some of the first waves have hit um, the U.S. mainland, the west coast, and that is the state of Oregon, uh, we can say for sure that, that uh, it's not as threatening as it was previously thought of it would be, but still experts say the impact is, um, uh, is it really uh, of this uh, tsunami is unlikely to cause major, any major destruction, but they also say the aftershocks cannot be underestimated. Everyone is still on high alert here. And Ghani, there have been tsunami alerts issued across the Pacific region. How large is the impact of this earthquake around the world? Well, Alice, experts say uh, Japan's 8.9 magnitude disaster that we've seen this Friday became the world's fifth largest earthquake in the last 111 years. It's been the, the worst, the most powerful since, the, since a 9.0 magnitude earthquake uh, struck the Banda Aceh area of Indonesia in 2004, causing a massive tsunami that killed uh, about 250,000 people in 14 countries and washed away entire communities. Japan is part of the so-called ring of fire, which is a semicircle of earthquake and volcanic regions that passes from South America up to Alaska and back down through Japan to the South Pacific. Those territories remain very vulnerable to natural disasters like that. Okay, Gani, many thanks. Uh, RT's Gani Chichikian, they're updating us from the States. Many thanks. We've been speaking the last few weeks on the love of God, the dimensions of His love, the demonstration of His love. Last Sunday, the discipline of His love. But today, I, I want to kind of pause in that, in that series and ask this question, if God is loving, what in the world is going on? If God is loving, what in the world is going on? If you turn with me to Matthew 24, We'll attempt to address that question with some answers. I've asked the elders to uh, give me a hand this morning, and we hope not to keep you a long time. But uh, Matthew 24 begins at the end of this statement that Jesus made as he's lamenting for Mount Olivet over the city of Jerusalem. The last three verses of chapter 23, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house has left you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, verse 1 here of Matthew 24, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another 
that shall not be thrown down. Verse 3, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, here's where he's sitting on Mount Olivet, the disciples came to him privately saying, and they asked him three questions. Tell us when will these things be? What things? The city he's just lamented over, the temple he's just predicted the destruction of. Tell us when will these things be? Next question. And what will be the sign of your coming? Next question. And of the end of the age. Or you could word it like this. Tell us when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign of the end of the age? And in their mind, they probably thought it was one big question because all three things could happen at the same time. It's my personal belief and my eschatological beliefs I hold with an open hand. I could be labeled a pan-millennialist. Um, everything's going to pan out. So I hold beliefs, but I hold them with an open hand because in my life I've seen so many interpretations be disproven as time advances. So I, I believe verse um, 6 here through verse 14, he answers the third question, what will be the sign of the end of the age? He answered and said to them, he starts with their last question, is what I believe, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. All right, so these are signs of the end of time, but it's still not over. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So signs of the end of the age, but it's still just the beginning of sorrows. The word he used for sorrows means birth pains. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures, can we say the word endures? Endures to the end will be saved. Now here's the sign of the end. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. You may hold to the view that angels are actually going to finish the job of the church. If you do that, I, you're, you're my brother, you're my sister. But whether that's true or not, we must endeavor to be about seeing the gospel of the kingdom reach into all the world. Amen? I understand we're about 20 years away from having translation work begin in translating the New Testament for the final tribes of the earth. won't be completed in 20 years, but it will have started. Um, it's exciting times in which we live. So what's the sign of the end of the age? I believe the gospel of the kingdom uh, being a witness in all the world. Now, I believe verse 15 through 23, 22 here, he's addressing question number one. When will these things be? What's this? The destruction of the temple. Um, he says in verse 15, Therefore, 
Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, then there's a parenthetical statement, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house, and let him who is in the field not go back to take his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are, who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh shall be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Now, he these these pass these scriptures in Matthew 24 parallel uh, some scriptures in Mark 13 and also in Luke 21. In Luke 21, the verses that parallel here, he says, "But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her, for these are the days of vengeance." that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, it's my personal belief that these verses we've just read here addressing the first question, when will these things be? When will the temple be destroyed? It's my belief that they were fulfilled in 70 AD when the Roman army surrounded Jerusalem. The believers remembered what Jesus had said and they got out of Dodge. And the Catholic Church alleges that no Christians died during this siege upon the city of Jerusalem. But the Romans came in and absolutely destroyed everything. And to this day, there is no temple where there was. The Jews that are there pray at the foundation of that temple. Ransack the city. Um, if, if the crucifixion of God's Son uh, would bring judgment upon the Jewish people, we could say it happened in 70 AD. Those who refused to believe in him suffered as a consequence. No wonder Jesus wept over the city at the end of Matthew 23. All right, we can talk about that for hours, I'm sure. But let's move on to verse 23. Here's where I believe he speaks of the sign of his coming. Remember their second question? When will be the sign of your coming? It says, verse 23, Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. The return of the Lord is not something you're going to have to chase. He's coming after you. I was at a crazy Pentecostal church in Lafayette, Louisiana. I heard about these before, but I actually participated in one. A rapture drill. 
We jumped as high as we could, but every time we just didn't quite make it, we had to come crashing back down. But imagine the whole crowd practicing for the rapture. Jesus is up there. Let's jump up there and get him. You know. Well, he's coming from the east to the west, coming in the eastern sky, I believe circling the globe and taking his kids with him. So if we all were able to jump to him, think about it, the earth is round, it's a sphere. If we all jumped to him, we'd all be going different directions. He has to come get us because we don't know where to go if we had the ability. All right. Yeah. All right, verse uh, 28. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles or the vultures will be gathered together. And so we're going to be gathered to, to the Lamb of God. Amen. Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now, it could be said that this could be pointing back to to his first question, but I want to keep an open hand, all right? Immediately after the trouble, the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. What does this mean? I believe nature, nature will will shift. There'll be a shaking. The Bible says everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that that which cannot be shaken will remain. You want to see how strong a building is? Let an earthquake hit it. You'll see just how strong it is. Those buildings that remain were built right to meet that kind of force. All right? Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near. At the doors. Now, in Luke 21, this is how he said this. Verse 32. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of heaven is near. So when you see things like the earth's axis actually moving and continents and islands actually actually moving, No, the kingdom is near. The Lord is coming back. Well, some critics would say, well, well, we've had earthquakes since the days of Jesus. How do we know this is is the time? Well, every generation has has had signs saying, the Lord is coming back. Get ready. Every generation has had signs. So no generation will have an excuse saying, well, I never saw any earthquakes or I never saw the heavens shaken or, or nature rattled to its core kingdom is near. And so just as you can tell a tree uh, is going to put forth leaves by its buds, so you can tell that the Lord is coming back by seeing this shifting in the heavens. It's It's a simple parable. Verse 34, Assuredly I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour no one knows not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. 
I believe verse 36, he's speaking of his return. No one knows the day or the hour. And I think it's Mark 13 or Luke 21. Not even the Son of God knows. So tell your neighbor, no date setting. Just don't do it. We see the trees, you know, starting to put leaves on. It's getting closer. It's closer than it ever was. If it was the last days in Jesus' day, these are the last of the last days. Amen? Verse 37, but as the days of Noah, so also will the, but as the days of Noah, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. If there were no problems on the earth, if these things were not happening, nation rising against nation, man, look at North Africa. Who, who would have thought this would be happening? Revolution in these countries where they've been dominated by dictators for years. If those things weren't happening, people could become skeptical. Yeah, the Son of God's coming back. Right, right. So how's God going to get the attention of the world? By simply lifting his sustaining hand and letting the chaos happen so that man will say, we need a Savior. We need a Savior. If he is sustaining the universe by the word of his power, the Bible says, if he is, then the little man who defies his existence has to rely on his hand to give him the ability to do that. You know, it's like the moron that wants to use the freedom of speech to criticize his country and we let him do it because we believe in the freedom of speech. So it is the atheist that defies God can't do it if gravity wasn't allowing him to have a stable life. So God in his mercy has to show our need for him by removing some stability from us economically, from us sociologically, from us politically, and from us geologically. It just it, it has to happen. Look with look at me with Romans chap look with me to Romans chapter eight. And then I will be done. Romans chapter eight verse eighteen. I want to look at these and refer to what I call the futility factor. Can we say that? Futility factor. And the groaning gamut. Groaning gamut. Um, Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Look at that, verse 20. The creation was subjected to futility. All is futile, Captain. God has subjected creation to futile Forces. He subjected creation to futility to show man without God, life is futile. 
was sharing with Greg yesterday. He shared that Japan was one of the most highly advanced, if any nation would be prepared for earthquakes and tsunamis, we would think Japan was. But in all of man's greatest attempts, it's futile when chaos breaks forth. Why? Because of the futility factor. God wants us to see that he loves us. He wants a relationship with us. And to get our attention, he has to allow uh, forces to be in place or not in place so that we can see our best efforts are futile. Um, I just read a report yesterday in October of 25th of last year, a massive earthquake set off a tsunami that struck some Indonesian islands. The tsunamis leveled whole villages, leaving hundreds dead or missing, according to the survivors. The deaths could have been avoided or at least minimized. Unfortunately, the tsunami warning system wasn't working properly. Our best efforts are not enough. It's futile without a relationship with God to face this life. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. We say groans and labors. Something's going on with all this shaking. Not only that, verse 23, we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So creation is groaning and shaking, and we are groaning. Your house may be unshakable by earthquakes up to this point, but this house needs redemption. Amen? Thank God our spirits are reborn, our minds are being renewed, one day this body is going to be replaced. And the older you get, the more the groaning increases. How many groaned today that it was time change Sunday? So the whole gamut of groaning runs from the earth to our bodies, to creation, even the Holy Spirit is groaning. Verse 24, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the minds searches the hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So where are we at in this process? Well, before we were born, we were, we were foreknown. And before we were born, we've been predestined. And then when we came on the scene, we heard the call of God and responded to it. And through faith in Christ, we have been justified. And we are in this position between being justified and being glorified. The cross to the crown. The cross is where we are justified, and the cross is where we carry to help other people become justified. And between the cross and the crown is this place of justification and glorification. And during this season, a shaking and all kinds of things happening. 
But you've got to bank on one fact. God loves you, and he didn't bring you this far to leave you, and he's groaning with you to bring you through. This birth pang is happening in his heart for you and I to move through this process. What should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elected? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. Furthermore, is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. Does that mean there's not going to be any tribulation? No. It just means tribulation is not going to separate us from God's love. Or distress. Does that mean there's not going to be any distress? No. This means no, there's no distress that can separate us from the knowledge of God's love, walking in His love, experiencing it, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, or tsunami, or earthquake, or wars, or rumors of wars. Nothing can separate us from God's love, but yet those things are real. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are going somewhere through this thing. Don't give up. Your family may be shaking. Your kids may be disappointing you, but don't give up. God is at work. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Elder Joe Duncan. I think if you uh, lived at various times in history, you could probably pick out an event that you would think would have been the last big event before Jesus would come. I certainly think if you lived during World War I, the Great Depression, World War II, if you lived in a number of times, certainly now people are going to come out and, and feel it is. The last big event. But I don't pretend to know what, what is every reason behind what God does. It doesn't matter what the question is. Our job is to be ready, is to follow Jesus. Let me give you some logic that may be taking place right now. And this is from Peter. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And there's true. We've had tsunamis before. We've had earthquakes and wars, as Pastor Allen has pointed out. then why does God let it happen? Why does God allow it to continue to go? I I will, from this one verse, and this is my one thought, and my encouragement to you, that in 2 Peter explains one of the reasons why God is willing to wait. In verse 9, in fact, I'll go back to verse 8, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. 
The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Had Jesus come in 1945, we wouldn't be here. His desire is to bring all those that he's planned since the beginning of creation. His, his plan is to bring us into the body of Christ. Some of you need to heed that call today. That's God's, that's God's will. If you'll open your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 17, I'll just bring you a couple of thoughts that I had uh, in regards to the events of the past week. While you're open there to uh, Luke chapter 17, uh, I just want to comment about what some of those images that we saw that Pastor Allen threw up on the video. Um, And at the same time that all of those things were taking place, there were some significant things taking place in the Middle East as Pastor Allen alluded to as well, all important to us here in this nation. But one of the things that strikes me as we looked at the images that we saw from Japan, people don't understand one thing. What took place the other day when that earthquake struck was significant, historically significant. Um, The actual main island of Japan was now, we believe, moved over six and a half feet. It moved six and a half feet. The Earth's axis was shifted by about four inches. And we're actually still determining these measurements. But these these are preliminary measurements. This is what we can determine thus far. They're still revising the assessment of how powerful the earthquake was. Some people say 8.9. It may be as strong as 9.1 or 9.2. A significant event in regards to the geology of this world. So things are taking place. They're taking place in the Middle East. We're seeing that as well. But I want to read um, from Luke 17, and we'll start in verse 20. And this is Jesus, once again, in a good old encounter with the old Pharisees. I'm going to to read from a, a, a version that's a little bit different, maybe. From yours, but it says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God will come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, look here or there, for you see, the kingdom of God is among you. And then in verse 22, he he turns to his disciples and he goes off and he talks to his disciples in a different manner. And I think that this is actually significant for us as believers in this, in this room today. First of all, Jesus approaches the, the, the Pharisees and he says, hey, the kingdom of God is here. But then there's a difference as he turns to the, to the disciples, that is the believers, and he says, guys, I want to talk to you. See, he knew the Pharisees were not going to recognize him. He didn't, he knew the Pharisees weren't going to Say, yeah, 
This is Jesus who is establishing the kingdom of God. But he turned to those that believed in him and he said, listen, guys, and you can read it at some point. He turns to his disciples and he says, listen, here's the thing. Don't worry about when the kingdom of God is coming. There is no time to be established. And then he goes on and he says, just as if it, as, as it was in the days of Noah, people are going to be eating and drinking and then something is going to happen. Just as, is, as it was in the days of Lot, people are going to be going about their business and then something significant will happen. And he said, he tells the disciples, don't be like Lot's wife. Don't look back. Don't look back. Okay? So this is an important point for us as believers in this room to understand that there is a difference between us as believers and those that need Jesus. There is. There is. Two chapters later, we see in Luke 19 as, as Jesus returns to Jerusalem and he we're actually in this period of time where we celebrate these events right now, this season that we celebrate these events that I'm talking about. But Jesus returns to Jerusalem, and their people are crying out. They're saying, Hosanna, here he is, the returning king. And the Pharisees tell him, hey, shut these people up. Shut them up. And he says, you don't understand. If I tell them not to cry out, even the rocks are going to cry out because of who I am. And then he goes into Jerusalem, and he looks down on the city that won't receive him, and he knows that, that, that Jerusalem will not receive him. And he looks down, and he cries over the fact, he weeps over this city that won't receive him. And I've got to tell you that I believe that that's the heart of the Father right now that we're seeing in the world. I believe that. The heart of the Father, Jesus is weeping over what He has seen taking place in this world. Because the heart of the Father, we know that the Bible tells us that the Father desires to re be reconciled to each and every person. That's His desire. And He made a way for us to, to, to be reconciled through Jesus. Praise God for that. So we have a job as believers, and our job is this. Our job is to show Jesus to those that God, even now, is weeping over. Amen? Our God is to show Jesus to those that need Jesus. Okay? Sheikh was up here a little bit earlier, and he said there's a price to pay. There's a price to pay for the cross. And Sheikh, I'll, I'll ask you to come on up and we'll close out this, this service. But I'm believing that, that just as my brother Joe said, that if you are here in this place and you're seeing the events take place in the world and you're going, you know, I don't know Jesus, but I do know that I need him. I don't know Jesus. But some of the things that are going on right now kind of scare me. If you're in here and, and, and you're believing that, then you need to come forward when I call the prayer ministry team forward a little bit later. 
and we'll get we'll get you fixed up with Jesus. Amen. And there's other others of us in here that simply have a burden on our heart as we watch those images from Japan and we see people enveloped by the the tsunami. <laughs> or we we see people that are stranded on top on tops of their roof. And they have no hope right now, even now, probably have no hope. But maybe you have a burden on your heart to pray for those folks that you see in those images. Pray for the nation of Japan. Pray for the nations in the Middle East whose people are rising up and crying out for freedom and for a release from the oppression, which is Islam. Maybe you want to come up and just intercede on their, on their behalf. Maybe that's the price that you have to pay. And that's okay. Let's do that this morning. I just want to leave you with an encouraging, on an encouraging note, and that is this. We're not going to establish a time. We're not going to set a date. We're going to know that God is coming back. That Jesus is coming back and he is going to establish God's kingdom here. And he's going to make it right. And it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to call the prayer ministry team forward. And uh, if you need Jesus, we can pray with you. If you want to cry out on the behalf of some of those folks that we see, let's do that. Prayer ministry team, come forward. wanted to give a little bit of encouragement to people through all of this um, while the I guess it was the day after the earthquakes and tsunamis Friday we also had all the fires going on around here where I think it was 35,000 acres burned in Jacksboro and um, Glen Rose to Eulogy had I believe it turned out to about 6,500 acres and I know a family that was involved in that where the fire was surrounding their house and they were at the point where they were going in to get out anything that they cherished and found valuable in their lives and um, they sent out a prayer request to somebody that was giving a service and he stopped the service to to pray for the family and shortly after that time they walked outside and the winds had stopped it was completely silent and the fires had gotten about 20 feet from their house but and they can look around and in an entire circle around their house it's black everything's burned and their house is safe So I just want to encourage you that through all of this, he, Jesus loves us, and he is listening, and he's, he cares. So share, share your hearts. Amen. Hallelujah. If you're our guest today, you may be wondering, is this a post-trib or a mid-trib church? What, where am I? Well, Jesus said, in the world you have tribulation, all right? 
When people say pre-trib, they actually mean pre-great trip. But don't tell the people in Japan Jesus is coming back before there's any tribulation. Amen. Franklin Graham is getting ready to go to Japan to have an evangelistic festival. You, you know, at the end of World War II, MacArthur said, send in the missionaries. And we were too hurt. Our nation was too hurt to really respond to that call. The call was heard in Korea. The largest churches in the world are in Korea, <laughs> South Korea. Could it be that this is an opportunity once again for the world, and I believe Korea would be a big part of reaching out to Japan to see that place that is only 1% or less Christian evangelized for the kingdom. Amen. Hallelujah. Let it be, Lord. Lord, let the problems of the world be like a plow for us to follow, to sow seeds of the love that you have for us. Praise the Lord. Let's stand. Can the prayer team come forward? If you'd like to pray about anything or receive prayer for anything, we're here to pray with you. If you'd like to follow Jesus, you can see the trees are budding. I can see it. You've got my attention, Lord. Today's the day to respond to him. Amen. Pastor Shay. Bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And may you follow him in every area of your life. May you take up the cross of following a Christ-centered life and not a self-centered one. And as the days of the Lord's appearing approach, may you see the trees budding. May you get a clue that, hey, it's closer than ever before. Now's the time to follow Jesus, not the time to fall away. Amen. God bless you. If you need prayer, we're here to pray with you. We give you all.